All right. Romans 13, 7 says this. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And so before we jump into our teaching for Ask Me Another Week 2, I just wanted to take a few moments as a community, as a family, to make sure that we're being obedient to these ideas in this passage, particularly as it pertains to where there's, if we need to respect that we do so, and if there's honor that's due that we give it. And I think sometimes we, we wait until somebody's transitioning or leaving before we honor them. And so I think I want to make it a part of our culture to honor people that are still here and that have invested here over the long haul. And so I wanted to honor Natalie tonight. Uh, she has invested, yeah. She's invested as a student, as a student leader, as a DC Kyle intern, as a staff member. She's been serving five years since her graduation, investing in students because she wanted what she had to be an opportunity that you might have. She found her faith increased and grown in depth through discipleship in Chi Alpha, and she wanted to make sure it didn't stop with her. And so I wanted to take just a moment. Um, I felt like after coming back on campus last semester, because I was gone for a year, um, I think this is a little bit overdue, but I just wanted to thank her, give her credit, and also give her like a promotion. Uh, so she knows about this, but now you guys are knowing about this. So she's now the Associate Director of Chi Alpha at American University. I feel like sometimes we give names and labels and titles so that people would kind of get up there. This is not one of those cases. This is recognizing how much she's grown and where she's been ministering as a pastor and as a resource for so many of us in the past two years. So this is like, she's already doing it, so we might as well get her new business cards. Do you understand? Cool. So I actually asked one of the girls that she mentors to come up and say a few words. So Emily, why don't you come on up? Everyone knows how much I love Natalie, so. Um, but just a show of hands, um, who here has gotten some issue resolved or has gotten a great piece of advice or has been led closer to God in worship from Natalie? Yeah, that should be every single one of you. Um, so she's a rock star. Um, and while I may be the only one who fangirls to her face, I know that all of you do behind her back as well. Um, but in all seriousness, Natalie has comforted me, challenged me, and is one of the most influential people in my faith. She's so real. She tells it like it is, and she's always open to sharing her own struggles. She's always pushing herself to be and do better because she cares so deeply about this community and getting students to know Jesus. She is an invaluable part of this community, and we thank you. I feel like Natalie's like the big little sister I never knew I needed or wanted. Uh, she has helped me grow in my love for worship. She's helped what I do up here every week uh, because she does all the stuff that's not fun and not glamorous and not glorious behind the scenes. And so uh, she's a big anchor for my family, for our staff team, and for this community. And I wanted to make sure that we are following this passage in Romans when it came to honoring her leadership and her investment because she could be a lot of other places, 
doing a lot of other things, but she's chosen to be here. And so I want to bring her up for just a moment, and I want us to pray for her as a community. Um, I'm excited to see her continue to develop over what I hope is the next 5, 10, 15, 100 years on staff here at American University. Because in the past five years, I've seen her grow from a follower of Jesus to a true leader and pastor and mentor. And it's been a joy to learn from her and to serve alongside her. But I also know uh, with whole new levels of leadership, uh, whole new levels, whole new devils. And so uh, kind of weird to bring that up, but it's true. And we are encouraged to have new capacity to step out in new areas. Things get a little bit harder. And so I want us to pray blessing into this season for her because I think we're just at the beginning of what's a very fruitful ministry career. And I'm glad she's choosing to do it here at AU. So why don't we have Emily pray over her? If you love Natalie uh, and you can appropriately lay your hands on her to pray for her, you can come up and do that now. Um, Keyword appropriate. And uh, yeah, we see this happening. You can come on up now. We see this happening all throughout the Gospels and particularly in the book of Acts. That one way as brothers and sisters in the faith that we show our support and pray as we call it the laying on of hands. It's nothing spooky or weird, but it just helps us to physically reflect what we're doing when we're praying in the spirit realm. And so, Emily, why don't you pray over her in this moment? Dear God, we thank you so much for Natalie and who she is and what she's done in this community. Um, We thank you so much that you've given us a leader that uh, leads through grace and that really strives to be as close to you as possible, Lord. And we just... um, Thank you for the countless lives that she's impacted, and I pray that you um, provide blessing and honor to her throughout the rest of her time at AU, which is also hopefully forever. And um, we just love you so much, and we love Natalie so much, and we're so thankful again for placing her here with us, Lord. Amen. Amen. I was telling the worship team before service tonight, a few of them have started calling me Pastor Blaine since I've been back, and I said... If you're calling me Pastor Blaine, you've at least got to call her Rev Nat. I mean, she's a pastor just like I am. And the worship team was like, well, why hasn't we, haven't we done that before? And I'm like, ah, the patriarchy. That's why we haven't done it before. Um, so I want to make sure that we're walking in honor in all that we do and say, and I'm very grateful for Reverend Natalie Cahill. So one more time for Natalie. Let's embarrass her. Over the next two hours, I want to dissect three verses. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Over the next 15 minutes or so, I want us to continue our series. We're in a series called Ask Me Another, and this series is all about questions. The first five weeks are questions that the early church wrestled with, and we find that out by reading the epistles. And then the other five weeks of the series is questions that we know that you wrestle with because as campus ministry staff, We've been on these campuses, American and Georgetown, and we're doing this series together. There are questions that keep coming up in the life of modern-day believers that are also college students, and we want to see how the gospel bears down on that. And what does it mean that we can go through life, but we have the good news? How should that change our experience? And so we're continuing in 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you brought your Bible, you're welcome to turn there with me. Um, And I think if I had to to boil down what the early church was going through and why Paul wrote this to Timothy, it's this question that's trying to be answered. How do we live in faith when things around us feel hopeless? Or to borrow the language that Paul's using in this text in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, how do we avoid a shipwreck in our faith? Which is really interesting language because Paul was actually in a shipwreck. 
So for him, it's not just this metaphor. He's saying, I have been shipwrecked, and if this happens to you spiritually or emotionally, here's the things you should know and you should do. And so 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 say this. Paul speaking, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, verse 19, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. This might sound a little bit controversial or out of left field, but what I read in this passage is very simple that the people that are being talked about who experienced a shipwreck in their faith, it wasn't the circumstances that caused the shipwreck, it was how they processed those circumstances. We know that because it says this, how would you fight the battle well, verse 18, you would do so by recalling what was once said about you, by recalling the words of life, Timothy, that were spoken over you. That's one way that you can engage in what the spiritual battle is kind of calling in each and every one of us. See, I think that this passage of scripture reminds us of the most important yet overlooked battle in all of scripture. And it's not a battle from the Old Testament, like in the book of Joshua. It's not a picture of future revelation like we see in Daniel or in John's revelation, the last book of the Bible. No, the greatest battle in the Christian life is the battle within. The battle that you and I should be most concerned about isn't one that's historical and isn't one that's prophetic in the future, but it's what's happening in our lives at this very moment. And what I found very interesting as a recovering perfectionist and type A person is that Paul is suggesting that the weapon here isn't willpower but remembrance. That the way that you and I can avoid a shipwreck in our faith, it's not that we know our circumstances are going to all be positive. It's that we can remember the goodness of God no matter what season we're in. And if you keep reading in this passage, it says this, we fight the battle well, comma, then verse 19, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and then have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Holding on to faith and holding on to a good conscience. That's what some people didn't do in the early church. And they encountered a separation. They lost something that they once had. They let their views of God be shaped more by their reality than by how God reveals himself in Scripture. They allowed the troubles that they saw in front of them mean more to them than the way God had brought victory behind them. And you and I face this very temptation to this day. And it's very easy to forget that faith is a battle. And it's not popular to talk about, but if we believe in Jesus and how he lived and how he rose again and in the words that he said and the miracles and wonders he performed, then we also have to give credence to the idea that there is something going on externally and eternally, good versus evil, and we are caught up in the very center of it if we claim to know Jesus. See, because following Jesus doesn't mean that our problems go away. It means that we just have a different set of problems. That's why Paul honestly writes that we, we are no longer slaves to, to, to sin, but we are now slaves to righteousness. That's why most of these epistles are church leaders writing other church leaders about problems that they're facing in community. 
Now, I know you guys probably couldn't imagine problems in your small group or in Chi Alpha, but the early church, they had a very different experience. You know, years after Jesus has resurrected, I mean, that just happened so recently when these letters are written, they're already having issues with each other. And Paul is saying in this small section of text that they're starting to have issues with each other because they're having issues in how they view God. They're having issues in their framework of how do you process life happening all around you. What's interesting for you and I to note this evening is that the most frequent biblical command is stand firm. Isn't that interesting? I've grown up in church all my life, and I don't think I've really wrapped my head around that. It's not like a do not do this or don't do that fun thing. It's a positive command And it's one that seems passive, but is active. Stand firm, or some other iterations of it is hold to, stand up, guard, guard your heart, cling to. And that's really what Paul is writing about when in other places he says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's this picture, this idea of there's some type of natural letting go that we're predisposed to. The Bible wouldn't have to say to stand firm over 30 times if standing firm came naturally in life circumstances. No, it's placed in here as a theological imperative for us because it's our natural tendency to not stand firm. It's funny, I was um, having a conversation with my son um, this evening and I'm, I'm not great at, at discipline. Like, my wife is so great at um, being strict, bringing some of that, you know, Alabama, like, just, you know, she just drops a hammer. It's awesome. You know, like, she's been to Baghdad, and she knows, she knows what's going on, you know. Like, she'll bring it down to Jeremiah's level. And I just let him walk all over me. Not really good, because um, I just don't like conflict, right? So I always tell this story. So some of you have heard it before, but just pretend you haven't. Uh, one time, we were at dinner, and maybe this was last year, and uh, Jeremiah just starts, like, eating my hand. Like, I'm feeding him, and he just starts, like, eating my hand. And my wife is like, what are you doing, Jeremiah? And I'm like, hey, hey, I think he just missed the plate. Like, I think it's an accident. She was like, Blaine, go to your room. Just kidding, I don't have a room. Um, anyways, I live in a one-bedroom, super cool. This evening, my son and I were talking about Chi Alpha, and uh, he's at that age where I think his spiritual gift is guilt. Like, he can cause guilt in me. So I'm like, hey, buddy, glad to pick you up from school. He's like, you picked me up early. Yeah, I did. He's like, you're not going to be at home tonight, are you? No, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to Chi Alpha. And then he's, no joke, tonight he said, uh, oh, AU Chi Alpha at Embassy Church. And I was like, no, like we don't meet at Embassy, that's just the summers when we meet at Embassy Church. He's like, no, I like Chi Alpha at Embassy Church. I was like, just eat your granola bar, man. Like, and he's like, is Greg going to be there? I like when Greg brings desserts to Chi Alpha. Are you going to Greg's dessert Chi Alpha tonight without me, Dad? I will see Greg. I am going to Chi Alpha. You're not coming, but I don't think he's bringing desserts. And then he literally says, I'm talking about the Greg that cooked the desserts for us, not the Greg that's a maintenance guy in our apartment, the other Greg from Chi Alpha. And I said, I understand. He's like, no, I just wanted you to know, Dad. I'm like, what in the world? Jesus, help me. 
I think of the concepts that my son, as a four-year-old, is trying to grasp. And, and there's this, like this, there's these themes that show up in his life where I have to give correction to him or, or, or direction. And it's interesting the things that I have to tell him to not do, but the things that he wants to do naturally. And, and uh, we, we were talking today, and, and I just was asking him, like, hey, are you using your listening ears at school? Are you listening to your teachers? You know, are you apologizing when you need to? And it's interesting, like, you don't have to teach kids to be selfish. They kind of already ace that on their own, you know? Like, I saw him yesterday at school. Like, uh, I came in, I give him hugs and kisses, and, and then all the other kids line up. Some of them for me, which is weird. I'm like, no, I don't know your parents. Do not hug me. Dude, I'm not about to get in a lawsuit. Get away in the name of Jesus. But then this one girl comes up to Jeremiah, and she's told my son Jeremiah that her dad says that they're dating, which is so confusing for me because they're four. And so she comes up and gives Jeremiah a hug, and he hugs her. And then, like, another girl lines up, and he's just like, bye. I didn't have to teach him to be rude or disrespectful. Like, he knew that naturally. In the same way, you and I are prone to letting go of the faith that has already blessed us. You and I are naturally predisposed to forgetting how good God has been. That's the entire story of the Old Testament, in my opinion. It's God pursuing a people that are incredibly forgetful. Like, how many days was Moses gone after rescuing them from slavery and then they built like this golden calf Ryan Gosling monument and start worshiping it. It was like three or four days. I mean, I know it's Ryan Gosling probably, but it's three or four days. They are being delivered out of slavery, a generation set free, and yet they're so forgetful. And then I think of my own life and my own story. And I'll be honest, when I'm feeling stuck, when I'm feeling frustrated as a parent, as a pastor, as a friend, my initial reaction is to do more, to hustle harder, to engage in hashtag self-care, but none of that is prescribed in this passage. This passage gives us simple instructions to follow so that our faith, your faith and my faith, will not wind up in a shipwreck situation. We're to remember the prophecies once made about us. I love that. Paul is helping Timothy remember what his mother and grandmother spoke over him. He's saying, remember the words of life that were spoken over you? They don't feel true right now, but they are true. You don't feel like you're mine, but you are mine. And that, I think, is one of the greatest gifts of the Christian experience is that I can live beyond my emotions because of Jesus. With Jesus, my emotions are no longer a guide, but simply a gauge as to how I'm engaging with the world around me. But I can make decisions based out of something greater or higher. And then it's telling us we're to hold on to faith and hold on to a good conscience. And I love how those two seem so related in verse 19. I think college is a time when most people let go of a good conscience. College for most students is a time where you're emerging as an adult and experiencing freedom you never had. And, and honestly, most of you probably haven't had an opportunity to do the things that you're being presented with in college. And so you might come with the gift of innocence, but we don't know. You don't know if you're a person of integrity because you haven't had any choices. I'm like, when I mentor students, and, you know, I just remember mentoring uh, this one student, and they're like, oh, yeah, I've never kissed anybody. I don't get that whole temptation thing, you know. I was like, well, how many people have you dated? 
like zero. I'm like, cool, super cool, innocent. Yeah, you don't have any reason to speak on that. You haven't had the chance. I didn't say it like that, of course. In that moment, I said it later to them like that. And what's interesting is that God is calling us to leverage whatever season we're in to be able to walk in integrity with him. And integrity really just means that our lives are interconnected. That you and I don't have a set of friends that know we do this thing and another set of friends that know we don't do that thing. We're being asked to holistically live and serve a God who loves us so much and trusts us so much that he would ask us to be ambassadors of him. My parents work at the uh, U.S. Embassy in El Salvador, and I've had the chance to visit them. And I always joke with the staff, like, when you're riding around in my dad's armored car with the diplomatic plates, life's pretty good. You just park in the middle of the road. You can do whatever you want. I'm not saying they should do that. I'm not saying we did that last summer. I'm just saying it could happen. But then in D.C., I'm like so hypocritical. I'll see someone with the diplomatic plates like parked in front of my building. I'm like, move out of the way. I will send you into eternity right now. Move out of the way. I will snap your neck and you will meet your maker in this very moment, sir. Like I, but it's like, how could I do that and then also stop in the middle of the road when I'm with my parents? Um, side note, I was one time in the car with my dad, and it's interesting. He's like an explosive specialist, and I'm a pacifist. Uh, he, uh, yeah, let that settle in. He's a great mixture of like Chuck Norris and Jack Bauer, and I'm like, I love SIS because I'm kind of outdoors because there's windows, but I'm indoors. Like, that's just who I am. And uh, I'm like looking in the car, and like it is armored, and the doors are heavy, and uh, they don't have a driver anymore. My dad drives around, and... And I'm like reaching into the console looking for something. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a gun. My dad's like, don't worry. It's just there in case we need it. And I'm like, I don't even know how to take off the safety of a gun, dad. He's like, this gun doesn't have a safety. I'm like, that's scarier to me. And then I'm like, what's this red button? He's like, do not touch that button. It's if we're kidnapped, we touch that button and they send people to rescue us. And I'm like, that one right there? Like, is it like I, I can press it in, but I can't press it out? Like, how close can I get? And then my, when I first went to visit my parents, and I hope my dad's not listening to this, but they're showing me around, and um, my parents love me a lot. Like, they've moved, like, maybe 18 times, but somehow everywhere they move, I have a room, even though I haven't lived at home for 12 years. My wife calls it a shrine. I call it a room, but whatever. So my parents are like, here's your shrine. I mean, here's your room. And they're like, and here's the safe room. I'm like, what, the safe room? It's like Jack Bauer stuff. What are you talking about? And as I think through, like, the way that my dad has to process life, he's already thinking tactically about everything. He's the guy that comes into the restaurant and wants to sit in a certain place so he can be watching everything. I just want to sit by the air conditioning and the television and with a kind waitress that will give me lots of sweet tea. Like, that's my framework. My dad's framework is a little bit more life or death intensity. And what I love about this passage, which is probably very easy for someone like my dad to understand and very difficult to me, is that we always have to be on guard, standing firm in our faith. I don't like thinking about my faith as a fight or a battle. I heard someone once say, like, you could describe most leaders are either like lions or lambs. I'm like, dude, I'm definitely like a lamb with a broken ankle. Like, yeah, if I get into conflict, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry I exist. My bad. Take my wallet. I'm so sorry. Natalie, she's a lion. You know what I'm saying? A lion. Okay, we'll get back to that another time. 
the battle that rages within each of us needs to be something that we think often about. My Chi Alpha director in my undergrad at Alabama would say this. Oh my gosh, there's like, I'm getting a call right now from Arlington, Virginia. It's like, is my dad listening? Oh my gosh, did they hear me say that? This isn't going to be bad. My Chi Alpha director Craig said this. Missed expectations always equal, equal frustration. If you and I don't begin to act, think, and live like we're in a battle, it doesn't mean that the battle won't catch us. It just means it'll catch us off guard. When I started dealing with depression in my last year of college, I don't think I even knew that Christians could be depressed. I know that sounds so weird, like, oh, that's so backwards. Yes, I did go to Alabama, but I just thought that, you know? And I just started dealing with this feeling, like every morning, every day, I was anxious in all my relationships. I just felt so like broken down, and, and I just didn't know like how to have words to talk about it. And I didn't even know like Christians could feel that way, and, and I didn't know what was going on. But as I look back, it's just I had thought that following Jesus, saying yes to him in a moment, meant ease for the rest of my life leading to eternity with him. I didn't realize that when I signed up to follow Jesus— that I was signing up for a different battle. And also, I, I wasn't used to that language. I grew up with the language like, accept Jesus into your heart, like as if he has a condo there. That's pretty weird. We don't accept Jesus. We recognize him and then we follow him. Like he doesn't need my acceptance. Yeah, I, don't, I think he wants it, but he doesn't need it. He's asking us to join him in the greatest redemption plan of humanity. And that is going to involve a lot of tension and a lot of conflict. And it's mostly conflict that happens in here. And how do we continue to be faithful? We remember what was once said about us. We remember those small group affirmation nights. We remember a moment when a leader spoke highly of us. We remember when somebody took a moment to notice catching us doing something right. We hold on to faith. We hold on to a good conscience. And we don't reject those things. This cultural moment in our country, on our campus, in our city... I think it's very easy to reject holding on to faith and holding on to a good conscience. I don't know about you, but I find myself on Facebook and I'm like scrolling through my newsfeed and there's just something within me. Like, I just want to start arguing with people and I don't even want to be right. I just want them to be wrong. And I think that's what's happening, not just like on the internet, but that's happening in the here and now, that there is something that is desiring to pull us apart from each other and from God. That's why when we make mistakes, when we sin, our, we want to hide it and keep it in, in, in the secret, but it always grows in secret. And it shrinks when we bring it out into the light. That's why James 4 and 5 says that if we want healing, we confess to one another. We confess to God for forgiveness, but when we confess to one another, it's healing that comes next. As the band comes up and we think through our response tonight, I want us to think through what, what causes faith shipwrecks? What have you seen in your own story and in the story of those around you? People who were once following Jesus so closely and now have no interest in things beyond the material. I can't stand up here and say that the circumstances you, you faced or are going to face are going to be easy to overcome. I wish that I could guarantee that the heartbreak that you felt will never be replicated from here on out. 
I wish, I, I wish we could host enough racial reconciliation groups that injustice would no longer exist on our campus or in our community. I wish enough sermons and worship songs would put us in right standing with each other. The reality is that our brokenness and sin rubs off on one another. We have many excuses to reject our faith and to reject a good conscience. And we have to remember, it's not the circumstances that cause us to be shipwrecked. It's how we view those circumstances and who we view them with. There are people in this room that are having a difficult semester and we're just two weeks in. There are people showing up with habits and addictions that no one would know about. Jesus isn't standing here looking you in the eyes and saying that he's upset with you. He's just calling you to come and be with him. Jesus isn't saying, don't do that again, or I'm disappointed in you. He's just saying, I have something more for you. See, the key to faith is trusting that the abundance, the abundant life is how Jesus describes it, not how I desire it. So as we think through what that might mean for each of us, I hope that you're not in a season where the seas are rough, where the night is dark and cold. But if you are, or if you find yourself in a situation like that soon, remember what was once said about you. Remember the words of life spoken over you. Hold on to your faith with the remembrance in your mind. Hold on to a good conscience using your remembrance as a weapon. Don't trust in your willpower but trust in his power. Leverage what you've seen him do in your life to take you into a place deeper and closer to him. And as you experience pain and difficulty, know that he offers in equal measure grace and mercy. Why don't you stand with me as I pray and we sing together. God, I feel like we live in such divisive times. Tumultuous seas are all around us, even within us. God, I pray that you would help us remember. Help us to stand firm. Help us not to give up. Help us, as Galatians 6 says, not to grow weary in doing good. And God, as we pray, as we trust, as we hope, may we stand firm. And may we see you more clearly, regardless of what our circumstances might throw at us. Because we know that you're bigger and you're greater, you're sweeter and you're patient. And we thank you for that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. These altars are open.